So while meditating on this parable, that, that long one that we heard at the first of our gospel, raises the question, why doesn't God just go ahead and weed out all those bad people? Well, part of the question comes down to, what is a weed? We know that if you're a gardener, a weed is that plant that you don't want in your garden. When I was younger, my dad gave me the chore, the job of taking care of the lawn. I mowed the grass, I watered the lawn, I trimmed it, edged it, and I got a bounty for every dandelion I uprooted. A little bonus to my chores, a little bonus to the, to the cash dad paid me, my allowance. One of my friends had the great idea, you know, Rick, there are a lot of dandelions out there. We can collect the seeds and scatter them all over your dad's lawn. They grow like weeds and they'll grow fast and you can get a better allowance if he's paying you that bounty. Planting that seed of sin, deceitfulness. We didn't do that. There were already enough dandelions to worry about. I didn't want more to do. So I avoided the temptation of sin. But what is a weed? When I got to Rome, I found out dandelions are prized in Italy and throughout most of Europe. They actually plant them in the garden to grow intentionally because the leaves are really good in a salad. What is a weed here that disrupts our beautiful green grass in Europe is a delicacy to put into your salad. It's a little bit bitter, but it really does make a much better salad to add a little bit into there. Not that I'm saying go out and start to grow dandelions. Your neighbors may not be happy with you. But what is a weed? If you actually look at some of the translations that are out there, there actually is a specific plant that is being referred to. It's called the darnel. It grows in that area of Palestine and Israel. And when it's mixed in as a weed with the wheat, when it first starts to grow, you can't tell the two plants apart. By the time that they are grown, by the time you can start to see the seed forming on the wheat, is when you can tell the darnel the weed from the plant that you want. But by that time, the roots are so intertwined that you can't pull the darnel plant out without uprooting the wheat crop as well. Jesus is giving us a message. Sometimes we don't know the person is going to be a weed or if they're going to be a fruit that God will keep. There are many saints in our lifetime that we would have said were weeds early on in their lives, that God should have uprooted and upplanted. St. Francis of Assisi, St. Ignatius of Loyola are two such men. Their early lives, they were filled with all of the joy of a young man. They wanted to go out in military expeditions for the glory of combat to come back filled with ribbons and medals so they could dance in the court with all those fine young ladies and woo them and have fun. Each of them encountered a difficulty in their military life. Ignatius of Loyola took a cannon to his leg 
and was bedridden for over a year. And during that time, he had a conversion of heart where he stopped being the weed and became the wheat. Francis of Assisi was captured by a neighboring town, held prisoner for several months until his family paid for him freedom. He learned the reality of the military, the reality of the seduction of worldly things, and had a complete conversion of heart. From these two men today, we have the Franciscan order and the Jesuit order. Up until their mid-20s, they were weeds, but had a conversion, became wheat. Saul is another great example we read about in Acts. Saul was the early persecutor of Christians. He was the official that the crowd went to about St. Stephen. Do we have permission to stone him to death? He is a Christian. And Saul said yes. And then on the road to Damascus, he had that face-to-face -face encounter with Christ and that radical change of heart and became St. Paul. That doesn't just have to be a saint. Carnegie was the same way. A ruthless robber baron, one of those gilded men of the late 1800s in America, had that conversion towards the end of his life and worried about his legacy. And there are many libraries today, public libraries that owe their existence to his donations at the end of his life. People have that change. We don't know if they're going to stay the weed forever. And who are we to judge? The Catholic Church tried to do this and failed miserably. If you look at the Spanish Inquisition, if you look at the witch hunts in the Middle Ages, many innocent people were swept up in something they thought was good and suffered death. God will judge the people at the end of time. And those people who are evil and have done bad things and have led people into sin will be cast into a fiery place. But let's let God be that judge. If you look at our first reading, it gives us some reasons why. Why we want God to be the judge rather than us. God never judges unjustly. He's mild in judgment. He has great leniency. After sin, you, God, will grant repentance. We have a chance to stop being a weed and to become the wheat. At the end of the first reading, the beautiful line, you've taught us to act like you, how the virtuous man must be kindly to his fellow man a precursor of the message that Christ brings to us. And then the second half of the readings today speak highly of prayer. One of my favorite psalms, at least one of my favorite couple lines from a psalm, we heard at the very beginning, O Lord, you are good and forgiving. Again, a call to why we want God to be our judge, full of love to all who call. Give heed, O Lord, to my prayer, and attend to the sound of my voice. Our prayer rising up, trying to make a change. And then St. Paul teaches us, the Spirit comes to help us in our weakness, 
For when we cannot choose words in order to pray properly, the Spirit himself expresses our plea in a way that could never be put into words. That the pleas of the saints expressed by the Spirit are according to the mind of God. What draw me to that last line is that he uses saints in the plural, not in the singular. And I think that that's true. If we have something worth praying about, the more people that join us in the prayer, the more effective it is. We know that through the mass intentions. Somebody has somebody specific to pray for, and they want to join it with the sacrifice at the altar, the sacrifice that Christ made for us to make it a more powerful prayer, to gather the grace of the sacrifice. And that becomes our mass intention. Today, right now, we're praying for Dee Carter, who passed away a year ago on this day. I said a prayer for her at the very beginning. When we come together, you will hear Father say, let us pray, and then gives a moment of silence. The priest at that moment is praying for the person from the Mass intention, but he's also giving all of you an opportunity to pray for the intentions that you have in your heart. Anybody that you need to pray for or for yourself or for healing or for the world, there's enough stuff in the world that needs prayers. And in that moment, you collect it into your heart and you join it with the sacrifice at the altar. And it will be more powerful because of that. But more importantly, we can get all of us to pray together. We have the prayer chain, which we have. There are over 100 people in our parish that a couple times a week will get a mass email that says, this person needs prayer. Sometimes we'll know exactly what to pray for. They're going in for surgery. They have cancer. They lost a job. They're struggling with depression or they lost a loved one. And we join in the prayer of that individual collectively and bring that prayer with a stronger voice to the presence of God. One of the things that we've had in the past is a prayer book that's been sitting in the back at the entrance. You may have noticed it in times past before all the COVID came along. And you'd come in and you'd write down your prayer intention that intention that you're going to carry in your heart, that when Father says at the start of Mass, let us pray, that you're bringing to your heart. And there's a way that you can bring it out of your heart, actually to the altar itself. We're going to bring the prayer book back. We're not going to have it in the back for people to sign because of COVID and not everyone's here. But if you have an intention you want brought to the Mass, just give a call to the office, send us a letter, send us an email, any of the staff, uh, if you have a person that you would really like to talk to, send them an email on the staff, and we'll make sure it gets into the book. And then we're going to pray for this as part of the prayers of the faithful, and then we're going to start to bring it and place it on the altar so that our prayers, our intentions that we're bringing with us are joined with the sacrifice and joined with all of us here present in prayer. One person praying is great. Hundreds of people praying together is more effective. Let us bring our prayers together as a group, as a family, and bring them to the altar and join them with the sacrifice that Christ made for us. 
So that way we can make a difference in the world.